In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. God actually honored us when he chose us to be servant in the new covenant. Servant in the new covenant. St. Paul made comparison between the ministry of the old covenant and the ministry of the new covenant and he mentioned seven differences between the ministry of the old covenant and the ministry of the new covenant. Uh, and I want to explain to you these seven differences uh, to understand the honor and the glory that God granted to us who are unworthy but because of the abundance of his love and the multitude of his mercies he called us to be servants of the new covenant. But before I speak about these differences I want to explain what is the main difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. The old covenant and the new covenant are different in one word. If you understood this word, that's the main difference. This word is grace. Grace. Even in our language, we repeat this word. We are living in the era of grace. But we don't understand what exactly this means. After the fall of Adam and Eve, God wanted to establish a covenant. Covenant is more than a contract. It's a promise that will never be broken. That's what covenant is. So God wanted to establish a covenant with us to ensure our salvation. So the old covenant, God gave people commandment and instructions and told them, if you keep all these commandments, you will live. But if you break one of the commandments, you will die. And if you die, that's it. So that's the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant is a starting point. You are a sinner, right? But there is a list of commandments God gave to us in the law and he told us do this and you shall live but if you could not do it you are cursed and what happened did anybody keep all the law no was anybody able to be justified by the old covenant no that's why there was a need for a new covenant. New covenant not based on your work, but based on the grace of God. The new covenant, the starting point is I'm a sinner. But through the grace of God, I will be justified in baptism 
In baptism I die with Christ and then I will rise again. Then, yes, I am required to keep the commandment. But I will not keep the commandment by myself, but by the grace of God and the help of the Helper, the Holy Spirit. That's why we receive the Holy Spirit in the sacrament of chrismation. Also, after this, if you commit any sin, it's not the end of the world. Through repentance and confession, you will be forgiven. And then you will be justified again. You will be righteous again. And the sentence of this will be reversed when we partake of the communion given for us for salvation, remission of sins, and eternal life. Are we required to keep the commandments? Yes. But if there is weakness, and if I break one of the commandments through repentance, confession, communion, I will be forgiven. I will be restored again. This is the main difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Old Covenant is starting point, you are a sinner, you're required without any help to keep the commandment. If you don't, you're cursed. That's why all of us were under the curse of the law. But in the new covenant, yes, you are a sinner. But now, the grace of God that will justify you will make you righteous through the sacraments of the church. So, St. Paul was impressed with the new covenant. Maybe somebody would ask, why God give us the old covenant? If God, in his foreknowledge, foreknew that the old covenant will not work, why God give us a covenant that he foreknew this covenant will not work? You know, if a child had a bicycle and you want to fix it, and then you go and tell him, I will fix it for you. You know, no, I know how to fix it. Then let him try. After he try and try and try and admit he cannot, so he will come to you in humbleness, tell you that I don't know how to fix it. Would you please fix it for me? That's exactly. If God started with the covenant of grace and our pride would have said, no, 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 we don't need your grace. We can save ourselves. Why you give us grace? We don't need it. And our pride. That's why God waited until all humanity came to this fact, to this realization. We need a Savior. We cannot save ourselves. We need a Savior. In his economy, God foreknew the new covenant, the covenant of grace. He knew this. But he waited until we came into this realization. Dad, I cannot fix it. Please help me. Lord, I cannot save myself. Come and save us. That's when the fullness of time the time of the incarnation of the Son of God came to start and to establish the covenant of grace.
That's why if you ask anybody, an atheist, a Muslim, Buddhist, anybody, tell him in after one month, which year will celebrate? I'm gonna tell you 2020. 2020 from what? From the birth of Christ. Because the birth of Christ became a turning point between Old Covenant and the Covenant of Greece. This is a turning point in the life of humanity. <coughs> now we are living in the Covenant of Grace, which actually a turning point in the life of the whole humanity. Now we can be saved through the grace of God. Right? I want you to turn your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, because in this chapter, St. Paul explained the seven different differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And I want actually for all of us to understand the honor that God gave us. Many times we don't know what does it mean, how honorable that we are servant, that God entrusted us to be ministers of the new covenant. This chapter answers this question. Uh, I will read the whole chapter. Give you, let me give you historical background. St. Paul was accused of two things. Number one, he is not a true apostle because he did not see the Lord Jesus Christ like the 12 apostles or like the 70. So how you claim that you are an apostle? That's the first accusation. Second accusation, he is breaking the law of Moses because he was teaching what just I told you, the law cannot help you. It is the grace of God. But this doesn't mean you are not required, it's required to keep the law. You will keep the law, but through the grace of God, not by yourself. So they accused him that he is breaking the law. That's why St. Paul defended himself. Why he defended himself? Because if he doesn't defend that he is an apostle, then all the churches that he established, all the bishops that he appointed will be uh, not canonized. So he was defending his ministry not for his own sake, but for the sake of ministry. That's why he mentioned several times how the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus. So he said, if the apostles, the twelve, saw him, I also saw him. And God called me to be an apostle. And he explained that he is not breaking the law. But he is saying, the law without the grace of God cannot save you. But yes, through the grace of God, you are required to keep the law. Right? That's why he started 2 Corinthians chapter 3 by saying, Do we begin again to commend ourselves? St. Paul is telling them, Do I need to commend myself, to praise myself, to tell you who I am, how I saw Christ on the road to Damascus? And this is the second letter. I mentioned this before in my first letter. Do I need to do it again? 
Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you? Some teachers, when went to Corinth, they went to James, the Bishop of Jerusalem, asking him to write a recommendation letter to be accepted when they go to Corinth. So St. Paul said, I established your church. And he sent them the first letter, the second letter. So he said, after I established your church, do I still need a commendation letter from the apostles, from James, from Peter, from John, to know that I am a true apostle? Yes, in the beginning of my ministry, Barnabas introduced me. And the, as he explained in Galatians, the three pillars, Peter, John, and James, give him the right hand of fellowship. So do you need again a recommendation letter from me, for me, as others do? Then he said, or letters of commendation from you. He said, actually, if I need a letter, this letter should be written by you because you are witnessing of my service. You, you witnessed my service among you. So if there is any recommendation letter, it should come from you. Then he elaborated more what he means. Does this mean he's going to write a letter and collect signatures from the people? that Paul is a true apostle? He said, no, no, I didn't mean this. Verse 2. You are our epistle. When the people see you, they say, these are the children of Paul. So, my ministry appears in you, is manifested in you, manifested on who you are. And this is very serious. Your children will speak about your ministry. Your Sunday school children will speak about your ministry. If they are disciplined, structured, spiritual, then they will say, who is their Sunday school servant? But if they are unstructured, undisciplined, impolite, unspiritual, also they will say, are these the children of so-and-so. That's why he told them, you are our epistle. Written in our heart. Because a servant should carry his children in his heart. When you pray for them, you don't need to hold the paper to read their names. Your children should be written in your heart. Do you have 20 students in your class? 30? It's easy to remember them if they are written in your heart. And when you stand in prayer, pray for them because they are your epistle. You are our epistle, written in our heart, known and read by all men, known and read by all men. As I told you, these are the children of so-and-so. These are the children of Abuna so-and-so. These are the children of Bishop so-and-so. These are the children of Pope so-and-so. So we actually 
ref, are re, reflecting the ministry of those who are who served us. You know, until now, people from sporting like who are the children of Abu Shui Kamil. And when you see them, you see the ministry of Abu Shui Kamil in them. Our children of Abu Mikhail Ibrahim. You can see the impression of the ministry of Abu Mikhail Ibrahim in these people, right? You are our epistle written in our heart, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ. Now he took it to a higher step. We are not only the children of St. Paul, but St. Paul is just a tool. He is ambassador of Christ. So you are the children of Christ. So either we will be light to the world and soul to the earth, or either the people will blaspheme the name of Christ because of us. They will say, here are the, the Christian. Can you see the Christian, how they fight with each other? Can you see how the Christian behave like the ungodly children of the world? So either we will glorify God by our conduct, or the name of God will be blasphemed because of our conduct. It's either this or that. You are an epistle of Christ. Ministered by us, who are just servants, who are ambassadors of Christ. Ministered by us. Written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not with ink on a paper. Not engraved on stones like the Ten Commandments. But it is the Spirit of God, the grace. I told you in the covenant of the grace. We received the Holy Spirit. So in the Old Testament, the commandment, don't lie. It is ink on a paper. Has no power. It's just an instruction. But in the New Covenant, don't lie. It is not just ink on a paper. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in my heart who gives me the power to resist lying. You see the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant? In the Old Covenant, thou shalt not commit adultery. It's just instruction, ink on a paper. That's it. But in the New Testament, thou shalt not commit adultery has the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit empower me to resist the temptation. That's why now I can resist temptation. Not only not to commit adultery, but even not to look at a woman to lust after her. I have the power. That's why he said, the new covenant, it is written by the Spirit of the living God, not by ink. It's not just letters. It is a spirit. And not on stones. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the flesh that is of the heart. Why God gave the Ten Commandments on tablet of stone. Why God didn't give them on, on paper? Actually, they were in Egypt, so God can give them the two commandments on papyrus paper, for example. Why he wrote them on a stone? Actually, 
in Ezekiel we read, we read that God told us in the new covenant, I will take from you the heart of stone and give you heart of flesh. So God gave them the Ten Commandments on two tablets of stone because their hearts are hearts of stone, not hearts of flesh. You know, in the parable of the sower, one of the ground is a stony ground. Could not bear fruit. This another word, it is the hardness of heart. Their heart was hardened. They asked the Lord Jesus Christ one time, why Moses allowed them to divorce their wives? And the Lord said, because of the hardness of their heart. Some people come now, if they don't understand the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, they come and say, Jesus said divorce is allowed because of the hearts of heart. Why you don't give us divorce right now? My spouse, his heart is hardened. Why don't you allow uh, divorce right now? The big difference between the Old Testament and the New, Test- uh, New Testament, the hearts of the heart in the Old Testament was not optional. There was no grace. So everybody has hardened heart. Everybody. But in the New Covenant, the covenant of grace, you should have heart of flesh. If you allow the Holy Spirit to remove the hardened heart from you and to give you heart of flesh. But if you resist the work of the Holy Spirit, then your heart will be hardened. And in this way, it is by your choice to have hardened heart. In the new covenant, you choose to have hardened heart. But in the Old Testament, you then have this choice. Everybody has hardened heart. That's why divorce is not allowed because of the hearts of the heart in the New, te- in the new Testament, in the New Covenant. Because it's your choice. The solution is not to get divorced. The solution is to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your heart and to turn your heart into heart of flesh. That's why you will know how to live with your spouse. If there is a piece of stone here and I shoot a sword on it, what will happen to the sword? It will be broken. But if there is a piece of flesh and I shoot a sword, it will pierce. The word of God is like a sword, sharper than a two-edged sword. With hardened heart, the word of God came to my heart and then it was broken. That's why people with hardened heart in the Old Covenant did not respond to the commandment of God. But in the New Covenant, we read in the book of Acts several times, when they heard, when they heard, their heart were pierced. Pierced now because they have heart of flesh. That's why St. Paul said, not written, on tablet of stone, but on tablet of flesh. The word of God now can pierce your heart. 
The word of God can change you, can transform you, can give you the power. I have written to you young children because you are strong and the word of God is abiding in you. Uh, that is of heart. Verse 4. And we have such a trust through Christ toward God. In the Old Covenant, we have no boldness to stand before God, for God the Father. No boldness. That's why nobody could approach the mountain except Moses. Even Moses, when he descended, he had a veil on his face. Nobody could approach God. But now in the covenant of grace, through Christ, through my communion with Christ, I have boldness to stand before God the Father. And now I can call God the Father and call him our Father who art in heaven. This was not available in the old covenant. There was enmity between people and God. But Christ came to reconcile us with God. That's why we have such a trust through Christ toward God in the new covenant. Also as servants, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves. If you are successful, if you were able to bring some people who were afar from the church and you bring them back to the church, if your preaching is influencing others, don't ever think that this sufficiency is from you. Otherwise, when I go back to the old covenant, it is based on my effort. That's why he said, not that we are sufficient of ourselves. We understand, we know that our sufficiency is not based on our ability. God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient. It's my grace, not you, not your ability, not your intelligence, not your philosophy, not your knowledge. It is not. Our sufficiency is not of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. If we understand this, you will not preach before without praying. You will not do visitation without praying. You will not do anything without asking the grace of God to be with you. Our sufficiency is not of ourselves, but is of God. That's the covenant of grace. We rely on God. We rely on the grace of God, not on ourselves. Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. So God actually make us qualified by his grace to be servant of the new covenant. And this is very, very honorable. It is above and beyond our imagination. He will explain now the seven differences between the ministry of the old covenant and the ministry of the new covenant. First difference, not of the letter, but of the spirit. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. Meaning what? 
As I told you, the commandment in the Old Covenant just was letters. Letters written by ink on paper. That's it. Thou shalt not murder. Just letter. Letter means doesn't give you the power to keep the commandment. Just instruction, but doesn't give you how to do it. Right? That's letter. But in the New Covenant, these letters are written by the Spirit. And not only written by the Spirit, let me explain the inspiration. Inspiration doesn't mean when Paul, Peter, John, Luke wrote the Bible, wrote the Gospels and the letters, at this time they were inspired. Yes, they were inspired. But in addition, until now, when you read the Bible, the Holy Spirit accompany every word and pierce your heart and give you the power to keep the commandment. This is a big difference between Old Covenant and the New Covenant. When you hear today, unless you carry your cross, you cannot be my disciple. In the Old Covenant, it's just letter. But in the New Covenant, these words are written by the Spirit of God. So God will give you the power to carry the cross to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So, the first difference, that our ministry is not ministry of letters, but ministry of the Spirit. That's why St. John said, and we know that his commandments are not burdensome. In the old covenant, they were burdened. I cannot keep it. But in the covenant of grace, his commandments are not burdensome. I have the grace of God. I can keep the commandment because the Spirit of God is the one who wrote or who is writing these letters in my heart. That's the first difference. Then the second difference he explained. Because for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. What does it mean the letter kills and the spirit gives life? Many times uh, we interpret this verse wrongly. We say, don't be literal. The common understanding of this verse, we say, don't take the commandment literally, but take it in a spiritual way. But this is the wrong interpretation of this verse. It means, again, in the Old Testament, the letter kills, because the letter told me, thou shalt not commit adultery. And because I don't have the power, David committed adultery, Solomon committed adultery, Samson committed adultery. And once they committed adultery, they became under the sentence of death. That's why the commandment in the Old Testament ended by death. Also, the intention of the commandment to live, but nobody was able to keep the commandment. That's why everybody died. We were sold to death. This which reigned over us. Everybody was under the sense of this. But now the same commandment, which I must keep it literally also, but now I can keep it because I have the Spirit of God. 
And even if I break the commandments through confession, repentance, and communion, I am forgiven and I will live. So, letter kills, but spirit lives. So, the ministry of the Old Testament, I can call it ministry of death. Everybody at the end was under the sentence of death. But the ministry of the new covenant, I am calling people to life. You can keep the commandment and you can live. Even if you break the commandment, it's not the end of the world. Come with genuine repentance, confess your sins, take communion, and you will live. So it's a ministry of life versus ministry of death. So the first difference, letter versus spirit. Second difference, death versus life. And when I said ministry of death, these are not my words. Verse 7. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, I explained this on the tablet of stones. If the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious. Definitely the Old Testament and the Old Ministry, there was glory. Moses, when he descended from the mountain, his face was shine to the extent that people could not look at his face. And he used to put a veil on his face. So St. Paul is saying, if this was glorious, then what about the ministry of life? If the ministry of death was glorious, then this will be exceedingly glorious. The Old Testament, as St. Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, it was a lamp shining in darkness. That is a glory. Lamp shining in darkness. Until the morning star, until the sun, sun of righteousness, start to shine. There is no difference, there is no comparison between the glory of a lamp and the glory of the sun. That's exactly the difference between the glory of the old covenant ministry and the new covenant ministry. That's what he, he was saying. If the ministry of the death, written and engraved on a stone, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses, because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, this glory was passing away. It's not a permanent glory, because after some time his face returned back to normal. Then actually, there are two more differences now. Old covenant ministry was glorious, but new covenant ministry exceedingly glorious. Old Covenant ministry is passing away. The glory is passing away. But the glory of the new covenant ministry is eternal. So now four differences. Letter versus spirit. Death versus life. Glory versus exceedingly glory. Passing away versus eternal. So St. Paul is said, if this ministry of death, the ministry that's passing away was glorious, verse 8, 
how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? Compare the face of Moses with the face of Jesus Christ on the mountain of transfiguration. There is no comparison. There is no comparison. There is no comparison between lamp and the sun. The fifth difference in verse 9, for if the ministry of condemnation, it's condemnation, had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. So the fifth difference, it's a ministry of condemnation. At the end, everybody was condemned because nobody was able to keep the law. So if I cannot keep the law, I'm condemned. But the ministry of the new covenant made me righteous. Righteous means I am doing what's right. That's what righteousness means. Because it is ministry of the Spirit. The Spirit helped me to do what's right. Even if I did what is wrong, the Spirit will correct me. He will guide those who will uh, commit sins in the way. And he will correct my way. That's the ministry of righteousness. So, ministry of letter versus ministry of spirit. Ministry of death versus ministry of life. Ministry of glory versus ministry of exceeding glory passing away glory eternal glory ministry of condemnation ministry of righteousness right for even verse 9 verse 10 for even what was made glorious the ministry of the old covenant that was made glorious had no glory in this respect had no glory if you compare it with the glory of the new covenant. If you compare the glory of a candle to the glory of a sun, then no glory. So this, what was considered glorious, now it's considered no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels, because of the glory of the new covenant that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much, much more glorious. And we mentioned this difference. It's passing away ministry. This is eternal ministry. So, you as Sunday school servants, you are not preaching condemnation. You are not preaching death. You are not preaching... Um, a passing away glory. Rather, you are preaching the Spirit. You are preaching righteousness. You are preaching freedom. You are preaching uh, life. So, verse 12, Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Imagine 
if I send you to carry a message to somebody to tell him you are arrested and you are under the sentence of death and you will be executed. And I sent somebody else to a person who is under the sentence of death to tell him go and tell this person now he is free all charges against him are dropped and he is no guilt, no guilty, and he will be released from the prison. Which one will be more motivated? The first one or the second one? The second one. Second one, of course, will be more motivated. That's what St. Paul said. Our ministry is ministry of righteousness. Unfortunately, many of us when we preach, we make the people leave the church, feel condemned, feel not justified, feel they are under the sentence of death. Then you are preaching like the old covenant. You are not preaching freedom and righteousness and, and glory. So are we servant of the new covenant or of the old covenant? Which style we are using? Are we preaching people condemnation or righteousness? Are we preaching people life or death? When people hear my preaching, do they leave the church feel, you know, I'm going to hell? Or they feel, yes, through the grace of God, I am saved. Which kind of preaching you are doing to your school, to some school? That's why, if, if we have such boldness, if we understand the glory of our ministry, then we'll be so motivated to go and preach release to the people. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ read in the book of Isaiah. I came to preach release to the captive. Acceptable year of the Lord. Are we preaching this? Or just sending the people the message you are condemned? You are, you are, you are, you are. What kind of preaching? Verse 13, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. So the old covenant ministry, that is difference number six, is a veiled ministry. Moses used to speak to the people behind the veil. They cannot look at him. Although this glory and this ministry is passing away. But even they could not look at what is passing away. Their mind were blinded. For until now, until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. They read, behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son. But because of the veil that's on their mind, they don't see that this verse is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And until now they are waiting for the Messiah. It is the ministry that's veiled. Because the, the veil is taken away in Christ. Beautiful. The veil is taken away. Unless you believe in Christ, the veil will be there. 
So the ministry of the Old Testament, there is veil. People, when they read the scripture, they don't understand it. There is veil. But even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So the veil is removed in Christ, and when, when one returns to the Lord, meaning what? Maybe I'm Christian. But until now when I read the scripture, there is veil. Maybe until now when I turn to liturgy, there is veil. I cannot understand, I cannot go into the depth of the scripture. Because the veil. But when one returns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So our preaching, turn to the Lord, the veil will be removed. And when the veil is removed, you will enjoy the freedom. You, you will enjoy seeing the glory of God. That's why now the Lord is the Spirit. And when the Spirit of the Lord, there is liberty. That is the seventh dif difference. Liberty and freedom versus bondage. I am under the bondage of this bad habit. I cannot know how to overcome this bad habit in my life. But when I return to the Lord and the veil is removed, there is freedom. If the Lord sets you free, then you are free. That's why we all with unveiled face, beholding as in mirror the glory of the Lord. Then, now in the new covenants, when we turn to God, we stand before God with unveiled face. We see his glory with unveiled face. Big difference between you stand before God with veil or unveiled. Let me finish the verse and then I will give you analogy. When I look with unveiled face, I will be transformed, being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Can you imagine if somebody wants to have suntan? So he goes to the beach and then completely veiled, completely cover his body and he stayed in the sun for five hours. Do you think he will have 10? Nothing. But if he goes to the beach with unveiled body, then he will have, he will be transformed from glory to glory. He will be transformed. The sun will transform and change him to have the time that he is looking for. You can attend the liturgy, can pray the Agbaya, can fast with veil. There is veil. You will not be transformed. The veil is removed in Christ. When one returns to the Lord, the veil is removed. When we return in repentance to God, the veil is removed. And here only, when we stand in liturgy, 
in reading the scripture, in praying, in agbeya, in fasting, when we stand before God with unveiled face, automatically we will be transformed from glory to glory. And the glory of God will be reflected on us like how the sun will, the, the rays of sun will be reflected on the body when it is unveiled and the person has this tan. In the same way, will be transformed from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. It is the Spirit of the Lord. And the longer, the longer you stay in the sun, the darker you will have the tan, right? But if you just stood in the sun with unveiled body for five minutes, you will not have, you will not be transformed enough. Many people say, why our liturgies are long, why our prayers are long? Why you are required to pray seven prayers every day? Because we want to be transformed. The longer we stay before God with unveiled face, the longer the word Holy Spirit will work on me and transform me. If you just stay five minutes or 20 minutes liturgy, you will not be transformed. But when you spend the time before God, you know, during the Holy Week, all of us, all of us, when we attend Pascha every day and then Good Friday, 10 hours, and then Abu Ghalam sees another 10 hours, we feel that we are transformed, we feel that we are charged because we spent all these hours before God. So this notion right now in, in, in many, among many Christians, we need just 15-minute liturgy, we need five-minute prayer, we need 10 days fasting. We will not be transformed. You need to spend enough time before God to be transformed. And since God, His glory is unlimited, then we need to spend unlimited time before God with unveiled face in order to be transformed from glory to glory. So these are the seven differences between the minister of the Old Covenant and the minister of the New Covenant. Letter versus spirit. Death versus life. Glory versus exceeding glory. Passing away ministry versus eternal ministry. Minister of condemnation versus ministry of righteousness. Ministry of veiled face versus ministry of unveiled face. Ministry of liberty versus ministry of bondage. These are the ministry that we are preaching the people. This what actually our ministry, to call the people to return to God so the veil will be removed, then they will enjoy the liberty, the freedom, the righteousness, the glory, the, uh, the life, the exceeding glory. All these blessings, that what, what we are preaching. When a person returns to the Lord, there is freedom and there is glory. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.